Welcome to Freaky Fauna Friday, where every Friday we take a little time and explore some of the freaks of nature from around the planet we cherish so deeply. So please, jump aboard and let's explore the wilds together. Hello, hello, and welcome to Freaky Fauna Fridays. I am your host and your guide on this nature safari, the great and powerful Mr. E. You may know my voice from other shows, but we're not here to talk about that. Who else is here in the room? I am Jay. You may know me from another show, too. but Just Jay? Just Jay. I don't have nicknames on this show. It's We're focusing on the freaky fauna. Freaky fauna. What d- Define the word fauna. Um, it's like a bramble bush. I don't know. I'm just making just gonna make something up. Flora and fauna. <laughs> yeah, animals and plants. Yeah. So fauna is the animals. What group do mushrooms fall in? Mycelia. Technically, I think they would almost classify because that's a really really old school version of classification. Uh, but I think they'd almost now fall into fauna because they're much more close related to to animals, animals. and plants. Hmm. Uh, mushrooms are crazy and we're joined by a very special guest in studio rachel say hi rachel hey everyone you may know rachel from cribs of the corn podcast she's been on several times uh she's going to be on there again or in the past time travel podcasting we never know how these episodes come out she's on there regardless she's in there somewhere (laughs) now so this this show is going to be a little different it's going to be a little bit of a shorter show uh it'll highlight a species or something unique about a species. So today's episode is just going to be a real easy one because I didn't have to research anything because it's all rolling around in the top of my head. We're going to talk about my favorite fish, a Mia Calva. Mm. Everybody Mia. at home knows exactly what that is. No, they do not. No, so that's actually the bowfin. Uh, the bowfin is a really unique fish. It's been around since the late Jurassic. Uh, the U.S. Oh, so the Ohio EPA actually has a fossilized bowfin with a baby Tyrannosaurus rex in its stomach. So they've been around a hot minute. I guess so. And we're, later on, we're going to talk about why they've been around for a while. They have a very unique parenting strategy that's brought them through ma- several mass extinctions into the modern day. How do they know it was a baby T-Rex and not just like some primitive chicken? Same thing. Okay. Don't split hairs. I guess so, or feathers. No, so Amia Calva is native to the Mississippi and the East Coast drainage. Uh, they have a, a massive range here in the u.s there's actually a lovely lady in arkansas that's working on splitting them into five distinct species and this is a thing that uh, me and my coworkers used to talk about all the time because i've caught both in about every state i've been in and they do have a lot of distinct characteristics versus like the arkansas species versus the florida species versus the michigan species so these fish are native all the way from canada all the way down almost to mexico mm-hmm. all the way over florida all the way up to maine uh most of this country in most of this continent, bowfin can be found. They prefer slow, slack water, but they've been found in pretty fast rivers. Uh, this fish has a long dorsal fin, hence the name bowfin. They have conical teeth, which are just nice, like pencil-like teeth, but they have serrated maxilla. So that would be a lip. Yeah. So that lip bone. Uh, so the Native Americans used to use their maxilla for fat scrapers. Mm. So they got a hell of a bite. I would imagine so. Pencil uh, teeth and yeah, that and that. They're like pit bulls. Armored plates. They also have a ganoid plate, 
which has not been seen in any other species in a very, very long time. Uh, this is a big piece of armor plating on the what would be in between the fish's chin, if it had a chin, and it's uh, the start of its dorsal, or its, sorry, its pelvic fins. It's a big armor, like bone plate. It protects the heart. Mm. So something used to stab these things in the heart, so they developed a bony plate to stop that. What do you think it was? I don't know. Probably some other freaky fish. Mm. This is Freaky Fauna Friday specializing in the bow and not something else. Okay, sorry. Uh, so these guys have been around for a long time. They <laughs> uh, survived mass extinction several times. They're air breathers. Uh, they do breathe water also. Uh, they're not very good at either. So they're kind of... A lot mm. of these fish that are intermediate kind of have problems with doing one or the other. They're in-betweenies. Yeah. But bofin can drown. So you can drown a bofin if they can't get to air. Same with gar. Gar, uh, I think they're closest living relative, and they're not very closely related mm. at all. No, they don't look anything like. Armor plating and stuff like that. You know, gar have the big long snout full of teeth, and bofin have that big, thick conical head. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. So why do you think, Jay may know, Rachel may know. I don't know. I talk about bofin a lot. Why do you think... Or what do you think, besides all this I just told you, makes them extremely special? I gave a hint at the top of the episode. Well, I'm going to guess that little bone, the armor-plated chest to the bone there. No, I mean, why do you think they survived several mass extinctions? Well, because they're aggressive hard asses. They are... They are pretty freaking mean fish. <laughs> I'm going to guess their reproduction cycle. There you go. Ooh. So they smarter. have a very intense parenting system. Not just reproduction, but parenting, uh, which is kind of odd for f- when people think of fish. You don't think of being the best parents. But the world is full of good fish parents. A lot of like, well, we have in here, we have blue tilapia, which they'll actually carry their eggs and their fry in their mouth for extended periods of time. To, for safety, they'll actually you'll see mother cichlids, which the tilapia are the cichlid family, let out their fry to feed, and then when a predator comes by, they'll all rush back into their mom's mouth. Mm. Uh, so fish have there are good parenting fish. Uh, clownfish live in like family groups, almost like wolves, led by a, the dominant female. Um, they'll actually work together, stuff like that. But what sets out both them? So the male and female are look pretty much the same. Male the female normally gets like four to five times bigger. Let's say a really big female here in Ohio is like eight pounds, and a really big male is like two. So uh, the male, though, has this giant bullseye on his tail. It's a black circle and a yellow circle on a green background. Mm, I've and, seen one of those yeah. before. All the babies have it. Dad has it. Mom does not. So An adult a, female disappears. That's a male then. Yeah. Okay. So what happens is they lay a very, very low number of eggs for their relative body size. You know, when you look at a smallmouth bass, or a bass in general, they're going to lay about three to 4,000 eggs per pound. Uh, so, you know, a four or five pound smallmouth is laying, you know, upwards of 20,000 eggs, if not more. Uh, but then you even have other, like alligator gar lay hundreds of thousands of eggs. Hmm. These guys, like, lay always almost under 1,000 eggs. They don't lay a lot of eggs because they have a very, very intensive reproductive cycle. So what they'll do... Mom is bigger, so she sets up the territory. The male will come into the territory. She'll pick a male. Uh, they don't mate for life or anything like that, but if the male does good that year, she'll keep allowing him in the area. Uh, if he loses too many fry, most times she'll either run him off or she'll eat him. Hmm. Uh, these are Fair. big, nasty fish. I'm liking this fish. Mm-hmm. So the male will actually have a trench on the bottom that's about the same size as his body. Uh, the eggs will be laid in there, and he'll kind of lay on top of them during the incubation. After they hatch... They, once again, these fish are air breathers. 
So the babies will stay on top of the dad's head or kind of around his head to in between him and the surface so they can get up and breathe air above him. But he can watch out for stuff that could eat the fry. So they hatch a very, very small fish. So bluegill and stuff like that can eat them. Uh, that's dad's job. Mom's job, being so much larger, is to guard the territory from anything that could eat dad. So that's I've, I personally witnessed a bowfin fighting a muskie and winning. Hmm. Uh, it actually it didn't bite the muskie or anything like that. It rammed it so hard, it burst the muskie's swim bladder, which is the organ that fish use to maintain buoyancy. Right, yeah. Muskie are a lot softer than bowfin. Bowfin are so armored. Uh, the reason that male has the tail spot is to help the fry stay on top of him. It's like a bullseye for them to focus on. So it's this big neon, you know, spot. So they'll help follow that around. Now, there's a there fish they get mistaken for a lot. It's called a snakehead. It's from Europe or and not Europe, sorry, Asia. There's there's one thing that really sets them apart. They almost have the exact same reproductive cycle, except snakeheads lay a lot more eggs because they lose a lot more offspring. They're not as good parents. Hmm. Bowfin are the only fish ever, ever, to be recorded feeding their offspring. Not just leading them to food, actively feeding. So there was one male that was witnessed catching a bluegill and sitting and shredding it in its mouth and then blowing the chunks of fish into the fry ball. Hmm. So that demonstrates a level of intelligence that I think gets overlooked a lot in fish specifically. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, they're the best fish in North America. Amazing fight. Uh, I've seen them in cold, deep water lakes. I've seen them in swamps, hot I've seen them with their back out of the water, and I've seen them in 60 foot of water. I've seen them one time in my life. You, know, you weren't looking for them? No, I was not. Where were you at? Minnesota? Canada. Canada. I was in the boat. I was a little kid. I'll tell you my little bowfin story. I was in Canada. went down to the boathouse. My mom and dad were out fishing, and I was just screwing around, and I walked into the boathouse and looked where the boats were. You know, it's shallow in there. There was this fish with this huge orange spot on its back, black with the black in the middle, mm-hmm. and the tail was like a big fan, like, you know, like the geishas would fan themselves with that's what it looked like and i was freaked out so i tried catching it tried hooking it it actually bit my lure but it didn't hang on it kind of just shook it and spit it back out did this a couple times so i tried to go down and get a net or something because it was that close i could have probably just netted it by the time i came back down with the net it was already gone and then i was freaked out because i didn't know what kind of fish this was so i went up to the little book and the thing and started researching and then found the bowfin and i was like i just seen a Bowfin, guys. I told my brother that, and they were like, cool. They had no idea what I was talking about. That's my bowfin story. Never seen one since. Rachel, you ever seen one? No. Well, maybe we go ice fishing. You'll see one. They, they don't... sound pretty. I'd like to see one. They're gorgeous. So one thing I did leave out is during their courtship rituals. So these are kind of a classic greenish kind of fish with a white belly, uh, green to brown. During their non-breeding season, they're not very excitingly colorful or anything like that during the breeding season. These are some of the prettiest freshwater fish in North America. The males will turn almost completely emerald green. And I mean neon emerald. They look nuclear. Mm. Uh, it's gorgeous. And do they do this to get a, the female's attention? Kind of. It's they, they, they have a very complex courtship ritual that's still being researched. It really reminds me of eagles. When they select mates, you um, know, it's there's a little calls. bit of a battle, yeah, battling display and also, you know, just plumage displays and stuff like that. So these fish are doing the same thing uh, where they'll kind of circle each other and size each other up and then they, they even fight. But the female will almost go jet black. 
So it looks like a jet black dragon and an emerald green dragon circling each other, sizing each other up when they're when when they're getting ready to select a mate. And I've seen them kill each other uh, during this the selection process. Some there's not a lot of research put into these guys because they're not a game fish, which is unfortunate. Uh, they there's actually a lot of prejudice. People blame them for a lot of fish like f- eating their favorable fish. They don't. They eat a lot of crayfish. What makes something a game fish? Something called the DNR. I mean, but what what's what is a game fish? Like something you're fishing for? Like that's what the certain- DNR. It's not a real thing. It's whatever the DNR says it is. Okay, for per your state, but it's normally what anglers target for food. So that's what would be considered a game yeah. fish. Yeah, but okay. just be like so. Like bullheads used to be the number one game fish in Ohio, and now they're not even on that list at all. Bullheads? Yeah, bullhead. Catfish. Oh, okay. Uh, so they used to be considered game fish here in Ohio, and they used to stock them by the millions. Hmm. But not no more? Yeah, now they're actually the same thing that's happened to both, and people catch them and throw them on the bank because they don't like them. Hmm. Prejudice. It is, it is, and it's uh, damaging the ecosystem. So we talked about it off air, but like farm ponds and stuff like that, why they have so much trouble with, with uh, stunting is that largemouth bass are not an apex predator. They breed too fast. There's too many of them. You need apex predators to kind of keep the system flowing to get larger bass and larger bluegill so they don't stunt. Both in our apexes, musky are apexes, and they bash musky on the head too. Mm-hmm. You know, people pull musky out, bash them. Uh, it's just a waste of a fish. Yeah. Why would they do that? Because I love musky. Yeah, I know. It's just how people are. Hmm. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. But uh, both in are truly amazing. They'll survive us. Uh, they'll be here after we're all extinct. Just sitting in a mud hole. Uh, so, yeah, I've seen them pretty much be dry for... We saved one in Arkansas that was bone dry. That's probably been on the bank for three or four days that somebody threw up there and tried to crush its head. Wow. You uh, threw it back in? Yeah, it took off. off. Wow. It was still grunting the whole time. Resilient. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've eaten a couple of them, and I've had them in, the, uh, in a dry live well, mm-hmm. and they're just like lizards. They'll walk... They almost look like they're walking around mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Don't get bitten. Probably hurts, right? Oh yeah, uh, they'll they'll take a chunk of you. I have one on the wall, thirty three and a quarter inches, and the state record is thirty three and a half inches. Oh, the only reason I ever killed her is because I was like, I knew that I knew the state record was like thirty three and change. So I'm like, I know I'm right there. But that was at Lake Hope State Park. If anybody's curious, uh, there's no bowfin there anymore. People killed them all. Hmm. Not even joking. Used to be full of bowfin when I was first starting in college. Then like three or four years, and the people throwing them on the banks. There's just wow, no both in there anymore. That's sad. Oh yeah, they they can disappear quick because they don't breed very fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of them live to be fifty or sixty years old, uh, so they're not a short-lived fish by any mm-hmm. means. Incredibly intelligent hunters. Uh, Ed Rankin works for Midwest Biodiversity Institute. He was telling me he did when he was in college. So this was a long time ago because he's close to retirement. Uh, he did a both in feeding survey in Michigan and he would sit on the cliff and watch them hunt hmm. and they would do, they hunt crayfish. They're crustacean, mostly eaters. They'll eat fish and whatever they can catch, but they're really good at eating hard bodied prey. Right. Yeah. So what they'll do is they'll kind of run up on the rocks and scare all the crayfish into the holes. And then they'll act like they're leaving, but they'll actually flip around to the back and sit there and wait. Hmm. So when they could pop back yeah, out, so the crayfish are out, looking out into the open water to see if the predator's gone, and it's sitting behind them. Mm-hmm. So they can swoop in and get him real quick. That's a highly intelligent predator. Mm-hmm. 
And he said it swim a small amount of stuff. They never cared for each other. Like, they never messed with each other. Yeah. Um, do we have enough time to tell your bofin story about shipping them? Um, shipping them? Probably shouldn't say that on air. Okay. That's what I figured. Yeah. Something exotic. I didn't blisters. ship them. I know to you be didn't. really clear. No, not you shipping them. Just stories you know of them being shipped. Yeah. Somebody shipped one. I could say that, I guess. No, you don't have to. It's all good. Jeez, Jay. I just wanted you to tell the resilience of a bofin. A bofin, uh, a bofin got it. An adult female bofin got out on a plane out of its wet box, being shipped to, I believe, Japan. It ate its way out of a layer of plastic and then styrofoam and then cardboard, and Lord knows how long it was in the belly of the plane with no water. It gets there. They call this guy. And he's like, is it still alive? He's like, in the, the guys that were running, the, I guess, baggage or whatever. Yeah. We're like, yeah. They're like, we'll put it in a bucket of water and give it to the guy. Yeah. It was still alive. That's nuts. It's insane. As far as I know, uh, the the guy that used to ship the fish, as far as I know, that bowfin's still alive in that guy, the Japanese aquarium. I'd hope so. I'd hope so. That'd be cool. It probably killed everything else in, in there. In there, yeah. <laughs> but hopefully the fish made it. Oh, I think it did. Yeah. I'm telling you, bowfin are friggin' tough fish. Yeah. I've actually seen them when, like, um, the wetlands they prefer start drying up. They'll actually, at night, kind of slime through the mud and go to a different pool. Hmm. So they'll be on land and stuff like that. That's Frankenfish. Nice. Yeah. That was a Mia Calva, the bowfin. You guys got anything to add? It's pretty extensive. For 15 minutes? That's that pretty good. longer than that. That's yeah, 15, 17 minutes. Felt longer. All right. I've been the great and powerful mystery. I'm Jay. And I'm Rachel. I know you talked a whole lot this episode. Thank you, Rachel. I'm sure you learned a lot, though. I did. This is not my area of expertise. Same. (laughs) Well, thank you guys at home for joining us for Freaky Fauna Fridays. And we'll see you next week with more Freaky Fauna. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Freaky Fauna Friday. If you want to help the podcast grow, remember to share and give it a five-star review.